welcome to the Human and Technology Podcast. This podcast is for anyone who develops, distributes or uses technology. For all those who always have the feeling that technology overwhelms or dominates them. For everyone who wants to know how to deal with technology in everyday life. For anyone who wants to understand what technology does to us and how we can get our lives back. This podcast is for those who want to make technology sexy. All the product developers, designers, UX, UI professionals, product managers, CTOs and CEOs. And it is for you. My name is Dr. Peter Reska. My friends call me Dr. Peter. I am your host and I am happy that you are here. This one today may be a bit of a right on the razor's blade, but um, I will do it anyway. It is always hard to predict the future, but uh, I will do it in this podcast. So I will talk about three technologies where I don't believe that they will succeed, although they are pretty much hyped today. Let's start with uh, looking back into the history of technology. The history of technology is full of failed dreams and unrealized ideas. About 80-90% to 90 of all innovations fail. The, the success of a technology is the exception. And um, I have selected a few technologies more or less by accident. Um, it's not a systematic selection anyhow, but uh, I selected a few um, to discuss why they fail, how they fail, and what the role of users and user experiences is in this. So, the first reason why technologies fail is pretty simple. It just doesn't work. It's technology that feasible. It's, uh, that happened pretty early in the development of technology very often. So, for example, uh, Leonardo da Vinci is a very good example. He um, did a lot of constructions. He did a lot of things uh, he developed. And some of them surprisingly worked. And, but a lot of that simply just didn't work the way it was supposed to work. A more recent example is the uh, Samsung Galaxy Note 7. That was Introduced 2016, it was absolutely state-of-the-art, but uh, from the very beginning it had uh, serious battery problems. They had a recall, and uh, then the problems of the batteries continued. Um, they were exploding, they were burning, they were catching fire. And um, I remember that airlines asked you in the beginning... Um, if you are uh, carrying a smartphone of that kind with you, um, that you please turn it off while you are on the aircraft. And later on in the end, they prohibited taking um, this smartphone with you on board. And that definitely killed that smartphone. Another reason why technologies fail is that potential dangers are underestimated. 
An example are uh, Zeppelins. Zeppelins were uh, introduced um, more than 100 years ago in the very early 20th century. And um, they were extremely dangerous. I mean, they were flying cigars and they were lighter than air. And that came from the hydrogen they filled uh, into, into the Zeppelin. So there were basically cabins um, lifted by enormous amounts of hydrogen, which uh, from our today's point of view must go wrong one, one day because hydrogen is easily set on fire. It explodes and uh, a Zeppelin called Hindenburg uh, flew from Germany to Lake Hurst near New York and um, caught fire while landing uh, in, uh, in New York. That was in 1937, and I think 35 people died in that accident. And that was uh, then the end of, of the Zeppelins at, uh, at that time. Another reason why technologies fail is um, it's simply too early. The time is wrong, and it is too early. One example of that kind is the, uh, is the Newton of Apple, which was uh, in the mid-90s some kind of uh, personal digital assistant. So a screen, a touchscreen, the frame and some electronics behind it. And you had your calendars on it and, and your to-do lists and uh, a couple of games. So that, that was uh, the Apple Newton. And um, first of all, it was too early because there was no real data, mobile data uh, network. So they were more or less disconnected. And um, they were very expensive at that time. Another example um, that you may not be aware of is that there was in 2003 a cooperation between the Swiss, uh, Swiss, Swiss watch maker, the Swiss watch maker, Swatch, um, and Microsoft. And they created uh, what we would call a smartwatch today. It was called Paparazzi. And um, yeah, that, that was basically like a smartwatch. And it had the problem that there had been no smartphones at that time. So it was pretty hard to handle it. And um, yeah, then that, that was simply too early for, for this technology. And um, I mean, just a footnote, uh, smartwatches, I'm, I'm not convinced of them as well. And they almost made it to this uh, top three list here in, in this podcast episode. I have not added them. I found three other technologies, uh, but uh, they almost made it. So I'm, I'm not convinced of smartwatches, not even today. It can be uh, the time, uh, the wrong time, uh, but it can be too late for a technology if, if you come out. Uh, an example of that is the Microsoft smartphone. Um, they came out when uh, the, the landscape was pretty much set and uh, they made a second attempt uh, later with the uh, acquisition of Nokia, um, where then uh, they had the, the right hardware with their, for their mobile phone uh, operating system, but it didn't work out either. So um, the, the market is set. We have um, iOS from Apple and we have Android from Google. And those two operating systems, um, they share the market. And um, it was simply too late for Microsoft to, to jump on the smartphone uh, uh, hype. 
People are very often not ready to make a change in technologies or, or applications. So there was a big discussion here in Germany on the, the new data protection uh, uh, policy of Facebook concerning WhatsApp and everybody was discussing, we need to need, need to go to a new messenger, we need to switch, we need to change, it has to be safer. And I have, I think, 300 contacts on, on WhatsApp and one person, only one, finally left WhatsApp and uh, moved to another messenger. So um people just stick with what they have and it, it works and if, if it's, a, it's a network if it's a social network behind it um then people will will stay with what they have because they know what they have that they, they know my friends are here my contacts are here and um, so they will not not switch and this by the way is uh, why google plus in uh, 2011 failed Because at that time, almost everybody had a Facebook account and nobody was ready to, to switch to another social network for, for communication. Another reason why technologies fail is um, that expectations are pushed so high that they can only be disappointed. So marketing sets the expectations to a super high level and then Uh, I mean, that's disappointing. disappointment is foreseeable. It will happen. One example of that is uh, the Ford Edsel uh, of, of the mid-50s. Ford communicated that as the perfect car, as the perfect luxury you will have, the perfect technologies. And that was the, the expectations were set so high that that failure was already implemented at a very early stage. Plus the fact that the, the, the radiator grill looked like a private, very private part of, of, of female bodies, of women. And that in the super conservative times of the mid-50s was another reason why that car simply failed. And once we talk about this porn cells, A good example of that is the battle of the video formats in uh, the mid-late 70s. So we had uh, VHS, we had Betamax, and uh, we had Video 2000, the brand names of different producers. And um, VHS uh, was the only of them licensing their format to porn companies, allowing porn videos on their format. And that was the reason why VHS won the battle and the other two um, had, a, had a niche existence, particularly Betamax in the professional area. But for private use, it was all VHS uh, in the very end. And um, rumors say that the same thing repeated roughly 40 years later when uh, Blu-ray beat uh, HD DVD. So uh, Blu-ray was ready to uh, allow juicy content while uh, HD DVDs did not allow it. And um, yeah, so Blu-ray made the race. And another fun fact here is when they invented the Blu-ray, the VHS was still there. So the last VHS recorder 
was built in 2016, which uh, surprised me when I made the researches for this uh, episode. Um, I read this and said, what? Until 2016, they were building VHS video recorders? All right. Must have been a pretty successful technology. Users uh, and uh, people around users tend to feel uncomfortable when uh, technology gets too prominent, when technology is moving too close to them or infringing their, their privacy. An example of this is the first uh, Google Glasses in 2012, when uh, the environment felt controlled and monitored. So the, the, the glasses had the ability to make photograph, photographies and videos just by, by the blink of an eye of, of the user. And so everyone around a person wearing uh, Google Glasses uh, felt un, unsafe, un, un, uh, unprotected, unsure. So people just didn't like it. And uh, so people wearing these Google Glasses were called glass holes at that time. Plus that uh, the applications and the use cases um, did not add real any value to, to, to the technology. So it was basically not with a very good value. Google made a second attempt in uh, 2017 focusing more on professional users in clearly defined contexts. And uh, I think that works better. So if you're a doctor or if you're a mechanic and you get support when you want to repair a machine or you want to make a surgery, um, then this makes sense with, with the Google Glasses. But um, I think in the way they are, their concept is as of today, um, there is no positive user experience to, to be gained in this one. Another reason uh, why technologies fail is a very simple one. It is too expensive. An example of this is the Apple Mac Cube um, that came to market in 2000. It uh, was simply too expensive, uh, plus the fact it wasn't upgradable, it wasn't uh, configurable. Uh, which was a real feature at that time, uh, 20 years ago. And um, so that one failed as well. I mean, we all believe uh, Apple has tons of success stories, but uh, this is uh, after the Newton, the second uh, Apple technology that I mentioned here, um, that did not succeed. So it is a normal thing that technologies fail. The Coolness factor is very important for, uh, for, for, the, for the success of a technology. So if you miss the coolness factor, um, then you may have a serious problems. In the early, uh, early 20th century, um, a bit more than, than uh, 100 years ago, there still was a real competition between combustion engines, steam engines and electric motors. And there was a, they were pretty equal, and um, they all had advantages and disadvantages. But there was a race between the three, and the combustion engines at that time were very complex, difficult to handle, 
but they were considered as male, as adventurous, as really cool. So you had this user delight, the emotion um, that was on the side of, uh, of the combustion engine. And that was one of the reasons at that time, while the, I mean, from a technological point, electric motors at that time would have been far easier to handle and, and, and to, to, uh, to control. But uh, at the end of the day, um, because it was so cool to have this noisy combustion engine, it was male, it was strong, it was adventurous. So um, that one made it. And um, until today, we, we fight with that decision, which was a very emotional one at that time. And then um, this is the last point, and this one was blinking through every now and then through when, when I was talking about these technologies. Um, if there is no real value behind a technology, it will fail. If technology has, has, has a value because technology nerds or developers or the respective marketing people Uh, IT manufacturers believe that this is the real cool thing, uh, but but users don't accept it. They they don't they don't see any use any value in this one. Um, then it fails. An example here are curved TV displays. So it was either the CS 2018 or 2019. Um, at every booth uh, where they had TVs, there was a curved TV, and it seems like this is the very, very big, very next thing, and uh, everyone will have one. And to me, it was totally unclear why. Why should I have a curved TV play, uh, screen? And, um, and a year later, one, one year after, there was none. There was not a single curved TV anymore. So they failed. Uh, I mean, we have curved displays today in, in cars. Uh, so some of them, um, like for example, the, the Porsche Taycan, um, that has a, has a curved display as a cluster instrument. But uh, as TV screens in your home or as computer screens as well as they had been promoted, um, they just failed. They did, do not exist anymore. You understand life backwards. You only understand life backwards. But you have to live it forward. And um, so I will talk a bit about the three technologies or more detailed two technologies and one technological strategy uh, where I believe that this will not have a future, that this will uh, see very tough times uh, ahead of it. And um, yeah, let's start with that one. Um, the first technology where I believe uh, it doesn't make too much sense, it will probably not succeed, are electric air taxis. Um, this technology sounds like the dream of flying cars will be reality soon. And I mean, the flying cars are... And science fiction movies and uh, wherever since, I don't know, 50 years, 60 years, uh, we are dreaming of flying cars. And um, it seems a bit like these electric autonomous air taxis um, are part of this or can be this flying car. Well, um, they're a big hype as of today. 
and uh, there are various technical implementations. Some of them are oversized drones, uh, some are more the helicopter style, or some of them have totally alternative designs and technologies, just like uh, a high number of uh, small propellers along a wing so that uh, you can uh, start uh, and, and land in different ways and different uh, variations. So there are many, many different uh, different designs and, and uh, technologies in that. There are a couple of reasons why I believe that they will not play a significant role in the mobility of the future. First point is you need an infrastructure for this. And you need to build this infrastructure. And of course, there are landing places uh, at airports. Uh, I can imagine that uh, parts of the airports uh, will be used for landing uh, autonomous air taxis. And uh, they can, of course, land on the rooftops of, of uh, skyscrapers. So that is a scenario I can believe in. But what about other regions, uh, such as uh, smaller towns, smaller cities or suburbs? So if I reflect on the three places uh, where I live, uh, one is a small town near Stuttgart called Böblingen, um, then it is Berlin, uh, the, the inner part of Berlin, and then it is uh, Puerto Andrach at Mallorca in Spain. And, of course, uh, it would be super attractive if I fly down to uh, Mallorca, Palma de Mallorca Airport, and then there is an air taxi um, taking me um, the 50 kilometers to, to my apartment at Puerto Andrach. The problem is, I don't see any place where it could land. Not within, let's say, 300 feet, uh, 100 meters around my apartment which is usually um, the area where I park a car and from there I can walk. But um, there is no landing place uh, there. And so for me, um, the question really is, do we have the right infrastructure? I don't think we have it. We will need to build it. And are we ready to build it? Um, enormous amounts of infrastructure for, for these uh, electric autonomous uh, air taxis. Second point. Air taxi traffic must be controlled and coordinated. I mean, we have air traffic control for cars. We have traffic rules with traffic signs and uh, traffic lights. And um, there we need to we have the police there. So, but, but who should do that for, for these uh, air taxis? Who, who should do it? And uh, who sets the rules and the standards for this? And Of course, it's easy to say, yes, we can do this, just let's do it. But um, if you have a look at uh, traffic regulations for cars, you will find that even within the European Union, you have different rules, uh, you have different traffic signs, you have different... And if you, if you uh, take US, uh, North America, South America, Asia into the game, then, then you will find out on a global basis, we have many different kinds of, of traffic systems and uh, ways of coordinating uh, vehicle traffic. And so um, I think it will be even more complex for, for air traffic and uh, to coordinate all this. 
I think this will be a, a pretty hard um, thing to do. Third point, the entire thing will be so expensive, particularly in the beginning, that there will only be a very low number of users. And without users, it will not be worth building the infrastructure. And without infrastructure, it is not really attractive to fly in these air taxis. So there will be even less users. And I mean, that is a negative spiral. And I don't see how we can turn it around to make it attractive so that uh, it moves into the other direction. And uh, the fourth point, why well, I don't believe that air taxis will fly If the, the technology should fly in the truest sense of the world one day in the future, and uh, it will be a means of mass transportation, uh, then at the very end we turn 2D traffic jams, two-dimensional traffic jams, into three-dimensional traffic jams. And um, there are movies uh, in, in, uh, in cities of the future, science fiction movies, uh, like uh, The Fifth Element, for example, where Bruce Willis flies a taxi through traffic jams with heavy traffic. And um, I believe this is not really unrealistic. So, yeah, with, with air taxi, we may get the chance to create the three-dimensional traffic jams. In summary... Um, the topic of, of electric air taxis will become an exclusive niche. There will be individual applications and a very low number of real use cases. Something I can see is uh, regular services from, for example, Pudong Airport to downtown Shanghai. So the, the airport, Pudong Airport, is pretty far out. It's about an hour, sometimes 90 minutes on a taxi to drive from the airport to, to downtown Shanghai. So for first-class passengers paying first-class prices, uh, this may be an option. The same for, uh, for, for traffic between JFK and Manhattan. So all this will work, but um, I don't see a mass market um, that justifies the, the many startups and technologies uh, we have today. The second technology I don't believe in is um, cars with plug-in hybrid powertrains. So plug-in hybrid means um, that you have a battery in the car and that you can charge this battery from, from power networks with wall boxes. And you have a uh, complete electric drivetrain. And in addition, you have an internal combustion engine with a complete internal combustion engine drivetrain with everything that is connected to there. And these cars, according to the manufacturers, um, the electrical range uh, is between 50, maybe up to 100 kilometers, which is uh, 35 to 70 miles in reality, it is a little less if uh, you listen to some music, if you have the air condition on or the seat heating, that eat, eats up a lot of battery power. So that will shrink. 
So for driving short distances, for example, the daily commute from your home to your office, um, that may work out that you drive uh, this fully electrical. And if you go on a longer trip, then you can use the combustion engine and uh, the, the connected drivetrain. That, in a way, sounds convincing, but for me, it ain't convincing. So every hybrid technology, whatever you build these hybrids of, but every hybrid technology has the potential to combine the best of two worlds. In reality, it often combines the weaknesses of one technology with the disadvantages of another technology. And then you have something that is worse than the single technologies and um, that is very often neither fish nor flesh. You have these two drive uh, two, two drivetrains installed in, in hybrid cars, um, the electric one and the combustion engine. So many things of this one, um, they, they are doubled. They, they need to be double technology in this car to feed these two different uh, parallel drivetrains. For example, the plug-in hybrid cars need uh, both a tank for, for gas or diesel, and they need a battery. Both are storages for energy, and you need both in a hybrid car. And these batteries, they're heavy. They're made from raw materials that are mined under inhumane conditions with enormous environmental damage. And at the end of the lifetime, the recycling of the batteries is still a long way from being a realistic, acceptable and practical solution. From my point of view, with these batteries, we are creating a new nuclear waste problem. At first, everything seems to be clean, reasonably clean. It seems to work well. Uh, but later on, with broader use and long-term use, it becomes more and more difficult to handle. Just as much as we don't know what to do with all the nuclear waste, uh, we may end up in a position where we just don't know what to do with all these worn-out batteries of electric and hybrid cars. And finally, people are lazy. Humans are lazy and they have the right to be lazy. I mean, we all have the right to be lazy. And uh, charging a plug-in hybrid uh, on the power grid with a wall box is comparably difficult and it takes uh, a longer time. Most of uh, the plug-in hybrid cars are company cars. And I can tell you from my own experience, uh, Company cars always come with fuel cards. So you have these cards where you can get gas for free. And um, so instead of uh, plugging the car to a power plug and, and uh, let it sit there for an hour or two to get charged, the drivers can again, take this card and refill the fuel at any gas station wherever they are and without paying anything. And um, I mean... It's up to you, but um, 
how will most users decide? I think they will go the easy way. And uh, the third one, the third, um, well, it's not really a technology I want to talk about now, but it's more a business model where I believe it will not really fly. That is the cooperation between Zooks and Amazon, uh, respectively the acquisition of Zooks by Amazon. And it is not so much about a technology, but more about a business model. You will know Amazon and uh, Zooks is a U.S. company, U.S.-based. Uh, I think they're a Californian um, that is planning and developing an autonomous electric vehicle, and meaning fully autonomous uh, vehicle, a kind of small shuttle bus or delivery uh, van that works without a driver. This case reminds me of the Deutsche Post uh, DHL and uh, street scooter acquisition. So DHL, you will know that, is a logistics company, a postal company, and uh, street scooter was a spin-off uh, from the University of Aachen uh, in, the, in the west of Germany. And uh, one of their professors there um, Professor Shu, a guy I, I, I really like. Uh, he's, he's a bit crazy, but a super cool guy. Uh, he developed Street Scooter because uh, he had realized that none of the established automotive OEMs offers a small electric delivery truck or van. And um, the DHL was uh, was the largest customer of Street Scooter, and um, then they found, had the idea. Um, yeah, it's cool that that we acquire Street Scooter so we can build our own cars and we can sell them to third parties as well, no problem. But at the end of the day, uh, we have our own car company and we can build our own uh, delivery trucks. That looked convincing at first, but it quickly failed. Uh, because DHL found out that they are a leading global logistic service provider, but they definitely are not a car manufacturer. And basically, exactly the same thing happens uh, now with Amazon and Zooks, a logistic uh, service company, very well established, uh, very successful believes that they need an own car company to build their own uh, delivery means. And I have a couple of doubts. Uh, one is that the Zooks vehicle is not having a real clear concept. Uh, it's neither a shuttle bus nor a robo-taxi. It is mm, somewhere in between. It's relatively small, um, so it can take only a few passengers. And uh, Amazon would like to use the vehicles to deliver um, cargo packages, posts um, on the last mile, meaning um, they have a uh, distribution terminal somewhere, uh, maybe at the at the uh, edge of a town, and then um, the last mile to to the end customer is done by these autonomous uh, delivery vehicles. And uh, sounds like a pretty convincing, pretty good idea. 
the question remains how this way of autonomous car delivery covers the last few meters or yards of feet of the delivery. The, uh, the nice thing about uh, getting getting a postal package, getting some, something from a postal service, is they bring it to my front door and they hand it over to me. And um, how shall this happen with a driverless car? I mean, in today's delivery trucks, you have this driver and a serious portion of this uh, of his or her job is to bring the packages, to bring uh, the deliveries to the person it is supposed to be and uh, supposed to be brought to. And so um, I don't see how this, this can happen. And uh, uh, an autonomous car simply cannot walk the last uh, through my front garden door and then to my front door. Uh, an autonomous car cannot get into an elevator and drive to the 10th floor uh, of an apartment building and, and, and hand over a package there. Um, something a, a delivery truck driver can do, do easily. So uh, in this merger or in this acquisition, um, the wrong vehicle and the wrong strategy for the intended use case, the delivery of goods to end customer, they nicely combine and um, I don't see how this uh, may work out in the future. All right, to summarize uh, this episode, there is plenty of technology out there that uh, had a strong start or was heavily promoted, was seen as a hype, as uh, the future thing, and uh, it failed. And I see similar, I have a similar foresight for, for, for three current uh, technologies, for, for three current hypes. One is uh, electric autonomous air taxis. I don't think that they will fly in the way we imagine it today. I don't believe in plug-in hybrid cars because uh, they nicely combine the disadvantages of electric vehicles with the weaknesses of combustion engines. And uh, I think the uh, acquisition of uh, Zooks by Amazon may not be the smartest steps uh, the smartest step amazon has ever done let's wait for the future let's see how much of my predictions are correct and uh, where i am wrong um, i love to be surprised by the future that's it for today Thank you for spending time with me. I hope you were able to take something with you and do something for yourself that will be forever. For an unknown exchange, you will find me on LinkedIn and on my websites, beta-rusker.com and beyond-hmi.de. Write me an email on the podcast at beyond-hmi.de. Tune in next time, take care and stay healthy.